Hello and welcome to Foundation Stones from Refuge City Church. Having a solid foundation for our walk with Jesus Christ is vital for every Christian, especially in the times we live in. Through God's word, candid conversations, and everyday application, the aim is to help you build your foundation so you can stand strong for God every day. Buckle in and prepare your heart. Pray this, God, ready my heart for your truth that I might be more like you. We hope today's episode empowers you to grow in your walk with Jesus. Let's dive in. Hey there, welcome to Foundation Stones, and I would love to tell you from the deepest part of my heart, Merry Christmas. This is Christmas week. It's the most wonderful time of the year, and I think there's a few reasons for that. First of all, our hearts are really soft to the presence of God, and second of all, we're able to spend time with our family, reliving memories from the past and making new ones from the future. And I hope that this week you're able to just unplug and spend some time with Jesus, spend some time in worship, and spend some time with your loved ones and your friends, and make some precious, special memories that you'll be able to relive into the years to come. I want to welcome you to our third in a series of three on the Back to the Heart series that I've been on in Foundation Stones. This is our discipleship podcast here at Refuge City Church. My name is Jim Weaver. I'm the worship and the administrative pastor, and I am delighted to be able to bring these discipleship teachings to you every week with the hope that you and I are able to make our foundation ever stronger as we get to understand the heart of God and understand what it is that we're doing when we call ourselves Christians and live for God. So today, in the third of the three-part series on Back to the Heart, we're going to talk about going back to what he said. The first one was talking about going back to where we started. Last week was the fact that God is taking us back to the garden. And in this edition of this Back to the Heart series, I want to tell you very emphatically that God will always go back to what he said. You see, everything that God does, he has told us that he is going to do. And whether we understand it off the pages of Scripture or whether we see it in retro, the point is is that our Heavenly Father has spoken through the voice of His Word, through the voice of the prophets, over all the generations, and everything that has been foretold has come to pass. And the things that have not yet come to pass will come to pass because we have the history, we have the consistency of God's fulfilled prophecy to look back upon. And so today, as we get ready for Christmas, I want to talk to you about the fact that God will always go back to what he said. He will always confirm his word. And so I want to explore with you today some of the prophecies that were fulfilled at the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, which is what we celebrate when we talk about Christmas. And so let's start today in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is talked about as being the gospel in the Old Testament because there are so many prophecies about the coming of the Messiah that we see in Isaiah, and this one is no different. But let's start here because it's going to give us some of the foundation, some of the bedrock for us to be able to build today's teaching on. So Isaiah chapter 46, let's start in verse 8. It says this, Remember this, keep it in mind, take it to heart, you rebels. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. From the east I summon a bird of prey, from a far off land a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. Listen to me, you stubborn hearted, you who are now far from my righteousness. I am bringing my righteousness near. It is not far away, and my salvation will not be delayed. I will grant salvation to Zion, my splendor 
to Israel. Let's look at Amos chapter 3, verse 7. It says, Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. Such an interesting scripture for us to meditate on today because many times we feel like serving God is lost in the ethereal. It's lost in the made-up mythology that all other world religions claim to be true. And, and yet when you look at scripture and when you look at the life of Jesus Christ, you find out that from thousands of years ago until the time of Christ, until this time, the word of God always confirms itself. It always wraps itself up in a finely tuned bow. And while we might not be able to understand all of the details, when we look back in retro, we go, my goodness, our God is wise and brilliant beyond infinity. So I want to tell you today, according to what we just read out of Isaiah, and then the confirmation from Amos 3 verse 7, that God revealed to us that he was going to send us a Messiah. If you'll go back to the teaching that I brought to you on the garden, Jesus was the rescue plan that God had in mind while Adam and Eve were in the garden. While they were in the place of deciding of whether or not to rebel against God, God had already initiated his rescue, his ransom, which was to send his only begotten son, literally God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us to live a perfect life and then to go to the cross in our place to die our criminal's death, but to rise triumphant out of the grave to make eternity available to us. And so God planted Jesus in prophecy from the beginning, from the beginning. And you'll see in scriptures like Isaiah chapter 9 and Isaiah chapter 53, in stunning detail, the victory of Christ foretold in the prophets 700 years before Jesus ever came on the scene. See, the Bible teaches us that Jesus would be born that Jesus would be born of a virgin. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, it says this, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. This was God the Father making this curse proclamation against Satan, against the serpent who had deceived Eve. And he says, I'm going to put division between you and the woman. I'm going to put division between her offspring and yours, and you're going to strike his heel, but he will crush your head. So from the very beginning in Genesis, God had already enacted a plan for the son, for the seed of Eve to be established as the victory over Satan and over his violation of humankind. I love what it says in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. This is really important because of what I just read you out of Genesis chapter 3. Because what it's saying here is that there will be a virgin who will conceive. There will be a woman who has not slept with a man who will conceive a child. Which is why it's important what it says in Genesis that the enmity will be between Satan and the seed of a woman. It was not the man's seed who went into the woman that created this immaculate conception. It was the seed of the Holy Spirit and the seed of this woman who created the enmity between Satan and God and now created this opportunity for mankind to be redeemed because the victor would come and crush the head of Satan because the seed of the woman. (laughs) That's such an amazing combination of principles here in God's word of fulfilled prophecy. Because then look what happens in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, because this is exactly what happened with the virgin Mary. 
Verse 26 of Luke 1, it says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. Isn't that an amazing declaration from this angel? He's referring to Genesis 3.15, and he is referring to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 where basically the seed of the woman would be the release of God's promise. And now, Satan is in trouble because God's fulfilled word. You see, God will always go back to what he said. And the angel said, for no word from God will ever fail. Isn't that great news? Isn't that great news that when you hold your Bible in your hand, when you lift up your voice in your hands this Christmas season to worship God, that you are worshiping a God who is faithful to his word, who will not let one single word he has spoken come to naught. He is absolutely faithful and trustworthy with his word. And so if he's spoken something to you, if he has given you his promises in his word, you can put it in the bank. And that gives me great peace. You know, this whole world that's going wild right now in our day, I don't have to be afraid because I know my God will prevail. Mankind didn't create the world and mankind can't destroy the world. And so get this from this promise. This is what Mary said. I am the Lord's servant. Verse 38. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. You know, sometimes we just need to be that courageous to say, you know what, God? I'm your servant. I trust that what you said is going to come to pass, and so may your word be to me fulfilled. You see, the offspring of the virgin woman was destined through the prophetic word to prevail. God's word had declared that the offspring of this virgin woman would prevail against Satan. Jesus wasn't born of the will of man. He was formed in the womb of a virgin, the seed of God. Sin is passed from the seed of the flesh or the seed of man. That's why Jesus couldn't be born of man's seed. He needed to be born of God's seed and the seed of this woman. Psalm 51, 5, it says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. But 1 John 3, 9 says, No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. That's why it was important that it happened the way that it did. God will always return to his word. You see, we're born of God when we receive the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who was born of God's seed. We've got to receive him in order to experience his righteousness. We can't do it on our own. That's why he was born of a virgin. He was deposited in perfection outside of man's sin, made ready to be the only perfect sacrifice that could atone for our sin. You see, it's pretty amazing because the word of God declares to us that he is the Son of God, but it also speaks of him being the Son of Man. 
Interesting that Jesus would be described both as the Son of God and the Son of Man. And so we're seeing that Jesus was fully the Son of God. He was Emmanuel. The angel told Joseph and Mary to name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. But he is also Son of Man. He's part of the lineage of David. He's fully human. In order to be a great high priest that sympathizes with our weakness and overcomes our shortcomings, in this way we can approach him for salvation with boldness and receive eternal life because he's gone before us. He's walked the flesh life just like we have and done it without sin. Look at what it says in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. It says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, what I love about Jesus is that he came to us as the King incarnate. He is heaven's perfect lamb. He is king of kings and lord of lords. And yet, he was willing to be born in a much more common way than you and I would ever dream that a king would be born. He was found in a manger. There was no room for him in the end. Joseph and Mary didn't have enough affluence to be able to afford a place for them to stay other than the stable of barn animals. And yet, strangely, that brings me great peace to know that my Savior was willing to associate with the humble. He was willing to be born in a way that would be ridiculed because any woman who was unmarried and had a child out of wedlock would have been ostracized, in fact, sometimes so extreme that she would be stoned to death. And yet Jesus was willing to endure the ridicule, the name-calling, all of the rumors, all of the things that his parents would endure, and ultimately he would endure in order to relate with the humble, in order to relate with the down and out, in order to relate with those that he came to save. Because he didn't just come for the affluent, he just didn't come for the religious, he just didn't come for the best candidates, he came for all mankind. He came to shine the light of the good news of Jesus on the whole world. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 through 7, it says this, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. Remember, this is a prophetic statement, so powerful. It says, In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You see, Zebulun and Naphtali, were the regions of Galilee. And that's where Jesus spent most of his time growing up and subsequently later in his ministry. And there's something significant about this. This land that was supposed to be Jewish in nature had been infiltrated by pagan rituals, by Gentile people. And that's where Jesus chose to set up camp. He came to those that didn't deserve him. He came to those that were outcasts. He came to those that the religious people had turned their back on. And though they were walking in darkness, they've seen a great light. Verse 3, it says, You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, every warrior's boot used in battle, and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fueled for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us 
a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and of peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. You see, Jesus came to create one new man out of the Jew and the Gentile. He came to bless the whole nation as a result of the prophetic word given to Abraham. Through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. He creates one new man. Zebulun and Naphtali in that region of Galilee was the precise location of the majority of Jesus' ministry, and it's where he lived and where most of his miracles took place. But it was infiltrated with evil, and yet the light of the world lived there and brought the good news to both the Jew and the Gentile, creating one new man. Those of Jewish descent that believed in him and those of Gentile descent that believed in him. You see, Isaiah prophesied that Galilee would be where God decided to light his candle. And this is precisely what happened in the life and ministry of the Messiah. And this one new man understanding comes from the Apostle Paul out of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one. He has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. And so I return us to the very first chapter and verse that I read to you, Isaiah 46, 9 through 10, and then verse 13. Remember what I said to you is that God will always return to what he said, and he did that in Jesus. And because he's done that in Jesus, you and I can rest assured that the promises of God in Christ are yes, and in him, amen. Again, let me read this, Isaiah 46, 9. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. I am bringing my righteousness near. It is not far away, and my salvation will not be delayed. I will grant salvation to Zion, my splendor to Israel. So I want to encourage you with this. As you get ready to celebrate Christmas, know that your Savior is faithful to his word. And let me give this to you as a sidebar. It's very important that we remain faithful to our word because we want the consistency and the integrity of our life to reflect the goodness of God. If God started his story in the Garden of Eden and he brought us the Savior, as was prophesied throughout the Old Covenant, and gave us a new promise to make one new man out of Jew and Gentile alike so that all the nations of the world would be blessed through the promise of redemption through Jesus Christ, then how ought we to live our lives? Should we live for ourselves? Should we live single-mindedly for ourselves, or should we live single-mindedly for God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ? So I want to pray for you today that as we prepare this week for Christmas, that the presence and the peace of God would be established because we are confident that if he spoke it, that he will accomplish it. He's done it before, and he will do it again.
So Lord, this week, as we're all about everything that we're doing in our preparations for Christmas, I pray, Jesus, that you would descend upon us and give us peace and help us to have the heart of worship, help us to walk in your glory and your anointing, and help us to move forward in victory. Bless my friends this Christmas season. May they never forget the memories they make, and may they bring you worship with all their hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, friends. Have a very Merry Christmas, and I'll talk to you next week. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Join us next time for another deep dive into the foundation stones of our faith in Jesus Christ. For more information about Refuge City Church or to join our giving team to keep the gospel of Jesus Christ moving forward and making resources like this podcast available into the future, visit refugecity.church.